Welcome to the Whiskey Congress. Honest, open talk dedicated to speaking the truth to those who are open to hearing it. Black, white, right, left. Most importantly, honest, bold, and fueled by good whiskey. In Whiskey Veritas, we are Whiskey Congress. Join the evolution. Whiskey Congress is back in session. Stephen and I are together in the Cleveland studio. It's a gray and dreary day in Cleveland, Ohio, which is what you expect this time of year. Standard. Exactly. Um, uh, so just a little uh, preemptive comment. We're tired of talking about politics too much, so we're going to go a little uh, sports heavy today. Uh, we're not going to ignore it, though, because Trump and Biden continue to really make me depressed about the state of our political system. Two men who will be roughly 80 years old, neither of whom seem to be mentally there, and I know I'm not diagnosing anything, but fuck, both those guys trip over themselves all the fucking time. And that's going to be our choice. And um, I'll get into some thoughts about that. But first, how's it going, man? Uh, yeah, good. Um, you know, and, and I think my stance on, you know, Trump and Biden and their mental capacity, whatever, I think, you know, they're two older guys. Um, like you said, they're, they're both, you know, 80 or around 80 getting there. And... Um, you know, it's just I, I, I don't I don't like this. I don't like our options. You know, we need younger, we need more vibrant. Um, you know, we we need better. But unfortunately, this is what we got. So, you know, there there it is. Um, you know, Trump's legal situation is just really a mess. Um, not really. You know, uh, it's it's not good. Obviously, when you have that n number of indictments, uh, his whole situation with Johnny or Jeannie, E. Jean Carroll. E. Jean Carroll. Sorry. No um, you know, like uh, it's ruled against them. Eighty-three million dollar settlement, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, judgment against them. He's appealing. He's probably going to fire his attorney, Alina Haba, which he should because she, you know, I mean. She's bad at being a lawyer. She is not a good attorney. Um, she almost got her. I mean, she, she could be facing sanctions with, you know, she wrote a letter to the judge accusing the judge of, of uh, inappropriate um, uh, conflict of interest because, you know, he was at the same firm as. E. Jean Carroll's attorney, but when they were at that firm, it, you know, I mean, it's a big corporate firm. They didn't work together really in any sort of capacity. He didn't mentor uh, E. Jean Carroll's attorney. Like there was no sort of relationship there other than they just so happened to work at the same firm. So then to throw out that allegation that they, you know, not only worked together, but had a close relationship and that it could somehow impact the, the this trial against Trump you know, that's, that, that's something that you can get sanctioned for, right, as, as an attorney and, like, just, you know, throwing out false allegations like that um, with really nothing to back it up. You know, like, oh, an unnamed source, like, sorry, you're not a cop. Like, you don't get to keep, you know, your, your you know. Uh, your informants uh, aren't. Right, like, you're you don't have right. confidential informants. Um, you know, so she could, she could be in trouble in a couple ways. She may or may not get paid from Trump. Um, she's probably not going to be working on his appeal. Now, someone switching legal representation for an appeal isn't necessarily uncommon, but I mean, I think he'd be kind of crazy to move forward with her as it's at least as lead counsel in the appeal, just given how poorly she performed. Uh, so he's dealing with that situation. 
Um, you know, and I want to throw something out there. You know, people talked about the appeal. It's $83 million. It's a lot of money. Uh, and everyone's just like, oh, he's got to post a bond for that. If, you know, if he doesn't, he's going to have to pay right away. So in New York, you know, the jurisdiction that we're in or he's in, um, when you appeal a civil judgment like this, you don't have to post a bond, but you should. And the reason why is when you post that bond, it stops the action on the judgment, meaning that if he doesn't post the bond, he can appeal it. But if he doesn't post the bond, E. Jean Carroll and her attorneys can say, all right, like as of today, right? Like right now, actually a couple of days, like they could say, all right, you have to pay up, right? And by law, he has to. It doesn't matter that he's appealing. But if he posts the bond, right, an appellate bond in this situation, then what happens is that it stops the action on the judgment, meaning that she can't collect, right? And what they do is you got to, now everyone's like, he's got to show, he's got to post it in cash. No, you don't write a check for 120% because that's what the bond is, right? So it's 83, um, yes, so it's 83 wow. million plus an additional 20% on top of whatever the judgment is, right? And, that, and it, it could range from, you know, 10 to 20%, but to, it's going to be 20% just because of how big this judgment is. Right. Like, so what, instead of him having to cut, cut a check, right. He just needs to show that he can pay it. Right. And you can show it through real estate holdings, um, some sort of, you know, money market account or something, something along those lines, some sort of financial statement that says you've got, you know, whatever additional 20% 16. So just you know, yeah, he's going to need to show that he's got a hundred million dollars. Right that he can, he'll be able to pay this if the, you know, if the appeal doesn't go through, right. Or if the, or if the appeal is denied or whatever. So if his appeal is denied, then he's, he's going to have to pay that full nut. Right. And he's going to have to show it, but he's not paying it right now. He's just posting the bond and showing that he can pay it. And it could be, like I said, through a combination of cash, real estate holdings, and, you know, other assets. Uh, so, and that's a smart move. So you hope that they file that bond. If, if you're rooting for Trump, you're hoping that they file that bond in a timely fashion, the way that they were supposed to. Um, I, I have misgivings about this appeal, though, because, you know, like they only have, I think they only have 30 days to file said appeal. And it is very procedure, procedure driven and heavy, right? And what I mean is that there's some technical stuff in there that they need to put in the actual motion of appeal that you can't skip over. You can't say, I didn't know. You can't say, well, why do I have to do it? Like, not everybody, like, it's just the way it goes. And these, like, they, it's kind of like a checklist. They go down the checklist. You got this, 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 this. Okay, we'll at least look at it, right? But if you don't have some of these things, they, then you'll, you're, you get booted before you even get started. And, and especially in New York, they don't care that it's Trump. It's not political. That's just how the fucking system works. So it is heavily reliant on the attorney's knowledge of the appellate system how to submit that motion for appeal. And if that thing is wrong, then his, his case is dead. Sorry, like you don't get another crack at it. Is that like the, the term doesn't have standing? Is that it's applicable? It's not, not like it depends on what is, if they like, so if they miss something, it depends on what they miss, right? And we won't go through the technicalities right. of, of the various things that need to be put in there and why and everything else. Um, it's, it's just, it, it, you know, it's, it's, just you got to basically fill the form, fill the form out right, and it's not just filling it out correctly. There are certain standards that you need to meet as 
to put it as simple terms as possible, basically to show that your appeal has merit, right? Like you can't just say, well, I want to appeal because I didn't like the verdict, <laughs> right? Like you've got to have a reason, right, that is based in, you know, New York state law, okay. right, as, as it relates to appeals. And if you don't meet that standard, right, then – Again, then your appeal is dead before it even gets started. It's like you don't, it, yeah. And the appeal is purely financial, right? Because he's been found liable of sexual right. assault. He's appealing, that's, right. That's he's appealing the judgment amount. He's not appealing, right, the actual decision. He's appealing the judgment amount. And for, I've heard multiple, uh, I listen to multiple left wing leading podcasts, and they're saying that he's been using campaign donations to pay legal bills. Is that fucking legal? I don't know. I'm not expecting you. I don't, I don't, I, that I don't. I mean, you know, campaign Sorry, finance law is a whole, like, section of law, right? Like, I mean, you've got a whole agency that oversees it. So I, I don't know because I've, se I've seen arguments that you can. Obviously, those are people that are supporting Trump. I've seen arguments that you can't. I think there are situations. I think it all depends on where the money comes from, which pack, how that pack is, um, filed or whatever. how, yeah, like how, like what, what it's standing is in I, that I don't know well enough to be able to comment on it. I would put money on the idea that there's enough small print writing that gives him a lot of leeway. Yeah. I mean, if it, because if it's coming in and I actually, I've actually, I've gone over this on the show. It was a little, it was a while ago, a few months back, but you know, you have two different types of political action committees um, and depending on which type of political action committee, one, the funds can be used very broadly. You have very broad use of how or very broad you know, definitions of how the funds can be used. The other, you can't. Like, it's got to be very specific to you know, the campaign and, and things like that. Right. Like, so, and we know Trump has multiple PACs. Um, and so if he's, you know, if it's PAC one where it's, it's more general – He's using funds for that. Is it, it's not. It may not be, um, you know, morally the right thing to do or whatever. But <laughs> it's it's not necessarily barred by right. law, right? right? But then on the other hand, if he's using it from the other one, then you know the different type of pack. Then yes, it, it, there he could run into a campaign finance issue. What I suspect though is because everyone knows that he's using money uh, from his his political action committee to pay legal fees and bills and everything else, and he's fundraising heavily around it, I think that it's probably fine because he's he's not doing it subtly. <laughs> and That's so fair. someone who is watching this, like, if, in, if, if, it, if he is doing it wrong, then you, you can't have faith in, in our campaign finance agent, whoever, whoever uh, whatever I, that agency, I forget what the name of that agency is. but yeah, yeah. I refuse to give to anything as a PAC because... It, you know, as soon as they can use the money for anything, for absolutely anything. Right. And like, and it, again, it depends on the type of pack and everything else. And, and, and I should know that better given as much as it could come up, especially with him. Um, and I, if I have time, I'll try to dig into that a little bit more just so we can be more better versed on it. But the reality is it seems to me that he is probably not running afoul of the law. He's just running afoul of decency, you know, decency which, right? Which, that ship is safe. You know, because there was a little, there was a situation, like, so we have the situation down at the border where all, all these patriots, air quotes, uh, have gone down to the border to take the situation in their own hands, right? 
if the federal government and, and SCOTUS, you know, the Supreme Court, they're going to deny Texas their right to be able to defend their sovereign state borders and, and the U.S. borders, then all these dudes and trucks are going to drive down to Texas, which they're already down there. They're going to set up camp, and they're going to protect the border. Um, and so there are people who have gone down there, just average Joe citizens, people like me and you that are, you know, in favor of Trump and protecting the border and everything else. Not well, that, you said you and I. You, not that, not, <laughs> that, not that we're not in favor of protecting the border and not that we are going down there, but people, just the average person, a lot of them have gone down there and they're starting to realize that, hey, wait a minute, like we're not actually doing anything about the border. This is just like a constant rally talking about how, you know, Biden sucks and Trump is great. And if Trump, if, you know, Biden stays in office, everything is going to be terrible, which, okay, fine. But what about the border? What are we doing about the border? And, you know, they, you know, they don't have food, they don't have whatever. And so people are starting, starting to kind of see there's a bit of a grift going on. Um, but obviously that's sort of being suppressed, but you know, Fox news isn't going to talk about that because it, it's within their, uh, uh, it benefits them for this to be played as, as going swimmingly down there. Um, along with other, your, with all your other conservative talking ads. And I, I just, I don't know if the other, if the more left leaning, media is is embedded enough to to be getting this type of information right i will say this um of the shows i listen to david packman midas touch young turks you know haven't heard word one about that not word one and that's interesting it is right i mean because yeah it is telling because i mean you know we've got a border bill that's been um brought to the senate but it's bipartisan and you know we know that you know, the, the GOP and, and the Republicans are saying, look, we're not even going to look at that bill because, you know, we've, they've even come out and said, if it helps Biden, we're not going to look at it, right? It, you know, we don't care that we're sitting there telling you that they're like, you don't need a bill. He could use executive action, right? Even though they chide him for executive action, you know, in every other sense, but in this particular sense. And they're trying to impeach um, the uh, yeah, Director of Homeland, Homeland Security saying he's not doing his job, but you, Congress, you, House of Representatives, won't even fucking vote on a bill. If it's a bad bill, vote down. Fine. Right. I mean, and what they're saying is they're just like, oh, well, in the in the bill, it says that it's going to allow 5,000, you know, uh, illegal immigrants through the border, you know, every day. And it, it, that's not what it says. What it says in in the actual bill, if you read it, what it says is if you get 5,000, you know, immigrants, asylum seekers, or anything like that at the border in any single day, which has happened multiple times over the years, then the border is closed for 14 days. No one gets in, no matter what their status is, whether they're seeking asylum or whatever. It's just flat out closed for 14 days until things simmer down. They can get better control of the situation. Then it opens back up again. Right, and then on that day, if you get five thousand, it's closed for another fourteen days. That's what it says in the actual bill. It says nothing about actually letting people through. It says if you get five thousand people at the border, right, then it's closed, and then they have to figure out how to deal with those particular five thousand people that are right there, or they're turning them away, or whatever, and and that's that's what it says. So, you know, obviously there's some gamesmanship going on here, some bullshitting that's going on here. Most of it's coming from the GOP and the Republican side. Um, you know, but those that, that bill is sitting out there, right? It's also tied to uh, funding for Ukraine and Israel. And it's just like, so we're going to kill funding for two wars over the border. The fact that we even had to put them together is ridiculous. But 
all right, fine, here it is. If you give a shit about Ukraine or you give a shit about Israel, then we kind of need to get this through and nothing. Right. right? Yeah, it, I mean, the gamesmanship, it, we use the expression saying the private or the quiet part out loud, like, we're not going to do this thing that we're telling you is the most grave threat to our national security because we don't want to help the guy we don't like in office. They're not even fucking denying it. They're almost bragging about it. Right. I mean, and, and you, you've got, you know, people that are saying, like, look, it's because... Trump needs it as, you know, a, a bullhorn message yeah. uh, during the campaign, right? Which is just absurd, right? And, and you know that, but yet here they are telling you that that's exactly why they're not supporting legislation. They're not doing their job because they're beholden to Donald Trump. Yeah. And, and it just, I, I don't understand how you can sit there as a self-respecting person and say, like, I'm not going to do my job because... I got to do it for this guy, right? I, I, I mean, I can say I can say the obvious, but right. I mean, it's just it's always, just an, it's and meanwhile, just, the economy by most metrics, job creation, stock market. I mean, stock market was over thirty eight thousand six hundred at one point today. I don't know what it is right now, but it's at an all time high. Now, I will be the first to acknowledge that presidents don't drive the stock market. It's certainly not independently. They can fuck things up, but for the most part. The market does what the market does. Yeah, I mean, look, when it comes to the stock market, you know, as an active participant in it, it's great to see. You know, it's good sure. to see that if, if you made the right moves, then it's great to see. If you didn't, well, you know, all this stock market talk isn't great for you right now. Um, but the reality is, is that we don't have enough people involved, directly actively involved with enough invested in the stock market where the average citizen is actually going to give a shit, right? I mean, if you go and people ask people like basic terms about you know that that are related to the money market, they have no idea what you're saying. They look at you like you've got seven heads. So yeah, that's great that the stock market is doing good if you're an active participant in it, and if you've got a four hundred one k or a pension or something along those lines, it matters if you're yeah. looking and whatever. But at the same time, there's so many people who they couldn't even tell you they don't even know how to look at the performance of their four hundred one k, right? I mean, you know, it's it's not hard, but I mean, most a lot of people don't, and I know that for a fact because I've worked with multiple people. And they're like, how do how do you how do you know that? Like, now you are more market savvy than the average bear. I mean, yeah. you you like I, you yes. go to the next level. I know a bit, but you and and market Ben would come on. You come he would come on the show, and you guys would say shit. You'll be talking about the Greeks. I'm like, you might as well call them the Greeks because you're speaking Greek to me because I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Right, but and I'm fair. I mean, but you I'm still probably, you still know how to yeah, look yeah, at yeah, yeah, what yeah, you yeah. have and you, you've invested in things and you whatever. And th but there's a lot of people out there who haven't who don't. Um, and so I, I, as important as the market is, and that's a good metric. Like we got to look at okay, what is the average person feeling and experiencing? And the jobs creation thing is huge. Um, the question always needs to be what type of jobs are have been created what type of jobs sure. are those are they long term are they good paying jobs um or are we talking a bunch of side jobs and a bunch of uh, uh minimum wage jobs that part i don't know um but it's still it's still a good sign that we've, we've got people getting back to work it's good that the fed is saying like okay inflation is under control we're not going to jack up interest rates we're actually looking at pushing them down and you hope they follow through with pushing them down because that that's where it hits me 
directly sure. where it relates to me because I I hear interest rates are going down. Like I'm at a fever pitch right now trying to put uh, uh, development deals together. Why? Because by the time I'm ready, right, and those, if those interest rates do what they, they're supposed to do, then my deals right now in three months, four, five, six months are going to look a hell of a lot better and I'll be able to quickly pull the trigger and get a better overall deal because I've lost interest rates points. You take that, you take interest rates down a quarter or a half a point on, on deals that are worth millions of dollars, right? That's a huge fucking difference in terms of what you're paying out and in your, in your ability for that, for your operating expenses to, to, to kind of max out, you know, um, in, in your favor, because you're not diverting so much money towards interest right. on, on a multi-million dollar loan. Um, and, and just people buying houses, people buying cars, those interest rates coming down, it affects them. Right. And so what you have to ask, right, is just average person sentiment. What, how do you feel the economy is right now? Are you seeing prices dropping in the stores when you go to buy things or are they not rising as fast? Or do you feel that they're still high and going up at an accelerated, accelerated rate? Right. I think what, what people see at the grocery store, what they see at the gas pump is really what most people are driven by economically. Yes. And now gas prices have come way down. Uh, the grocery store still seems pretty high to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's and, it's very, what's it called? Um, anecdotal. I don't like. Yeah, track but it. it's, but it's not anecdotal because we know, like, we, we can, you could pull average grocery prices, right? And what we see is that they're way up from where they were, you know, a couple years ago. And, yeah. you know, a couple, just two years ago, you know, three years ago and so on and so forth. And, the question is, are they going to continue to go up? Are they going to stay? Are we going to see things kind of come back down? Um, and, and when people feel like they're not spending as much for the basics, their bait to cover their basics yeah. needs, then they'll feel a little better. Or, or if they're making enough money where it's noticeable, where there's less anxiety when they go shopping because they've got more money in their bank account, you know, they got more cash on hand, then you know, they'll sign off on the account. But a lot of people aren't feeling directly yet. And the, the Biden team's doing a shit job of well, marketing their... It's not, But it's not just this. This isn't about marketing and telling people, right? Again, people need to actually feel it. They actually right. need to actually see it. They need to make more money at work. They need to get a better paying job. They need to actually be able to go grocery shopping and not feel as constrained because they've either got more money to spend to get what they need or the things that they're buying cost less, right? People have to directly see that and feel that to get better confidence. And then you've got, you know, the intellectual dishonesty where you could have, a, a, a right. you know, if it's a Trump supporter, it doesn't matter. They could be making 25% more than they were making two or three years ago. They could be spending, you know, 15% less than they were last month. And they're still going to bitch and moan because that's just how they're programmed, right? So there's a lot to sort of filter through when you're talking about the economy. You've got, you know, Biden's team and them claiming it's a win. You know, we see what we see with the market. We hear what we hear with the Fed. But then it's just for the people who got a vote, we need to, like, well, what are they and, saying? And they're hearing from Fox News that, oh, things are terrible. Oh, They're not, though, because even Fo Fox well, News is begrudgingly <laughs> saying, That's like, true. fuck, things apparently are better according to the numbers. That's right, because now right, Trump say, say, Trump's now saying he's, it's he, better he's because taking, I'm going to win. Right, like, he's taking credit for it, right? You know, it's just like, so you think that everyone is now pricing in today a Trump victory, right? And that's not the case. Now, we did see that in 20... 
16, but it happened a hell of a lot closer to the election when it seemed like he had a better chance of actually winning around the time, not even, maybe a little bit before the whole thing with Comey dropped, but, you know, about two or three months before the election, right, before November, you know, you started to see a shift and there was a, a tribulation that it was, a, that you know, Trump's chances improving and what that would mean for corporate tax rates and things like that. But we're not regulation. Right. Yeah, like exactly. That. And we're not there yet. And I, I, I don't I, I don't really foresee that being the case right now. I just think that some of these policies are, you know, everything that the Fed did that we didn't like is, you know, having a benefit. Um, some of Biden's policies have, you know, starting to sort of kick in and show. Um, so, you know, we'll see. All right. Um, Israel and the situation in Gaza remains awful. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we've said it multiple weeks in a row. Like, I don't see a solution at all. I don't. I. I, I hate being so despondent and negative, but I don't see how this goes anywhere good. Um, you know, we talked last week about how the Palestinian people have basically nowhere to go. Israel is the Israeli government is on a. Uh, you know. A mission. A mission, thank a you. Vendetta, a mission, whatever. whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 all the anti Semitism, I'm openly say, like, that's garbage, that's horrible. What the Palestinian people are dealing with is awful, but I hate not being able to say, here's what I think would make things better, but I got nothing, and I still got nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I'm not going to get into it because I, I just, I don't, I, honestly, I just don't want to talk about it other than you still have Palestinian people in Gaza still just being slaughtered by the Israeli government and the Israeli government isn't trying to hide it. And I don't think, I think that the United States attempts at getting Israel to pull back are not intense enough. I know that they're trying, but this isn't, it needs to be more forward. It needs to be more aggressive. Like you have people being killed that have nothing to fucking do with this, right? People that now at this point are just trying to figure out a way to survive, but they have nowhere to go. They can't go to Egypt. They can't go to Jordan, right? And there's history there um, between the Palestinians and some of the other Arab countries around them where they these other Arab countries support Palestine on a broad macro level, but they don't really like the Palestinians and they don't really want them there in their country and they've got a bad sort of history of past with them. And it's like, look, we don't necessarily want the Israelis to, to drill you guys into the earth because that gives them more power, but uh, you're not But coming, we're not going to do shit. Right? Yeah. Like, you can, you can kind of fuck off the and old, die the, in the, the desert. Old, the, old, the old ultimate not-in-my-backyard situation, right? Right, right. It's... it's it's you know it's it 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 it's actually that reminds me of a lot of the places where I've worked right that they're you know you you drive around and you see the Black Lives Matter signs and people are you know very democratic and everything else and it's like all right cool I'm gonna build affordable housing in your neighborhood and they're like yeah about that though <laughs> right like do you sure you have to do that here why don't you do that over there with all the colored folks how about you do that that would be cool right. Um, and this is kind of where we are, right, in, in, in the Arab world with the Palestinians or the Palestinians. So it's, a, it's, a just, it's an awful situation. I'm not, I don't want to understate it, and, but I just, I, honestly, I just don't have it in me to, like, dig into 
this awful situation right now and go through every different thing that's happened this week that's awful towards the Palestinians and then just shows where the state of Israel right now is on a mission to wipe those people out, again, push them into the sea and take that land and do whatever the fuck they want with it. And I hate talking about bad situations where I don't have a single fucking positive thing to say or a solution to offer. All right, let's talk about the real monsters in society today. Oh, don't do that. Because people don't get sarcasm. But anyway, okay. proceed. Taylor Swift. <laughs> so, it was right after Christmas. I think I introduced you to the whole Taylor Swift conspiracy thing. And I don't think I articulated it well. And you were looking at me like I had four heads because you thought I was... It, it, I would say you thought I was into it, but you were you were like, okay, what you're saying makes no sense. And all I could do was, yeah, I know it makes no yeah, fucking it, sense. You know, I mean, like, I hadn't really thought about it. I wasn't paying that close attention to it. And then you come out saying about the, the you know, conspiracy psyop and the government's trying to, you know, Biden and the Democrats are using Taylor Swift and the NFL to recruit people to vote and all this other stuff. And it's just... It, my God. And now it's, <laughs> it's, it's snowballed into this thing where, you know, you hear Sean Hannity talking about it and you hear, uh, what's that group, The Five or whatever, yeah. Fox News, yeah, where the... they talk about it and Newsmax and all that. Oh, it's a PSYOP and the government and Biden and, you know, Taylor Swift is going to endorse Joe Biden. And when she does that, we need to be ready to bring all hell upon her. Right. Like that's sort of the thing that everyone is saying right now. And this is my theory on that. I think that the 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 rumor, the narrative that she was going to go out and endorse Joe Biden came from conservative news media, right? Some sort of conservative strategist or somebody at Fox or somebody at News, probably nobody at Newsmax because they seem like a bunch of idiots. But, you know, someone said, all right, say this. And here's why they would say it. If she does come out and endorse Joe Biden, then you jump all over, you attack her, and you could drive that shit, you, you run with it all we day. We told you back we in the day. We told you she was going to do it, and she's against you, and she wants to take your babies and turn them trans and, and eat your, your abortion juice or whatever. <laughs> but then if she doesn't come out and endorse Biden, which I don't think she ever planned to, right? Not really her bag. Um, I'll bet she does. I Just listen, this isn't a prediction. I don't know that she was actually... I don't know that. When's the last time you talked to Taylor Swift? It was a couple weeks ago. We were in Boston okay, together. Exactly. Travis and I so, were hanging out at the... So, like, I, I don't know her well enough. We know where she comes out on stuff because, you know, there was that, that documentary on her where she really got into that thing back and forth with Marsha Blackburn, right, over, I believe, abortion, and that was, I don't know, five, six years ago. But I don't necessarily know that she was going to come out and endorse Joe Biden, right? And she... Maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't want to thrust herself into that spotlight. She's got enough attention on her. She's got enough shit going on. She probably wasn't going to do it, right? And so now, if she doesn't do it, then Fox News and they could say, because she knew what would happen if she did. We made, we made her not endorse Joe Biden. That's the power of MAGA, right? So they put, they put her into a corner where even if she, no matter what her plan was, she's kind of, they can take credit for whatever happens, right? They, sure. they have control over the narrative and the outcome before it may have been even a thought in her head. And, and the, th the thing is that, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, uh, the idea that she needs to have a fake relationship with Travis Kelsey to put Influence her anybody. Plan, right. Like, I don't know if you know this, but 
she was doing just fine. And I, I, and I will say this. I don't get her popularity. Like, I'm obviously not her target demographic. And occasionally her, her, her songs will come on, on the radio and I'm like, okay, she's a good pop singer. I, I have nothing against her, but I'm, I'm not, I don't see her as like a generational talent, like a she's prince. all-American white girl, right? All-American white girl. She's got talent. You know, she is likable. She's relatable for a lot of girls. Constant, you know, boy drama, all other stuff. I think she's like 32 or something like that, by the way. 33. Right? Like, so the whole boy drama thing, we're kind of like, you're a little old for this shit, right? But... At the same time, it's, you know, I mean, like, she's just, she's likable. And when I say all-American white girl, I'm not saying that as, as a criticism. She is, right? She's blonde, and she's, you know, she's skinny, and she's kind of goofy and awkward. She shows some vulnerability, um, you know, through her documentaries. She's, you know, been goofy in commercials. Um, you know, she's an attractive enough girl, oh, right? I mean, I think, I, think she's got a, I think she's got a cute face. Um, you know, she's way like, too skinny what, for what, my what, type. What makes her better than, like, Katy Perry? Um, I, I don't know, but I mean, like, what makes, I mean, you can go with any star, right? Like, why, why, why did, you know, why did people like Jodeci more than they like Bo Boys to Men, or Boys to Men more than they like Jodeci? I, I don't fucking know, okay. right? Like, what, what, just, what made NSYNC so popular, and the Backstreet Boys so popular, right? Like, why was Justin right. Timberlake the one that came out of that group and not, you know, I think J.C. Chazé from NSYNC has a better voice than Justin Timberlake, but Justin Timberlake ends up being the one that's the megastar out of that group, and the rest of them, we barely know their names. Right? I like, don't even know the guy you just... Right, exactly. <laughs> he was a member of NSYNC, right? I, uh, I mean, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC are... To you, just all one big thing. Yes, you probably exactly. couldn't figure out which, the, which one's I, uh, Justin song. Justin Timberlake was in... I mean, you know, John, I mean, he's... I know, you know. I, like him, I like him as an actor. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, he, he was in the Facebook movie, and, uh, and he's, he's in a movie called Runner Runner, which is not a great movie, but well, he's very good in it. Right. Um, uh, with Ben Affleck as a shady casino owner, and he's been in a bunch of stuff. He's a good actor. He's right. interesting. But the point is, I, like, why? Why was? Why did he shoot to mega stardom and not? Like, I, I, I don't fair, know. Fair. That, that's, I don't that's know. That's what that. I'm saying, though. It's, it's like Taylor Swift seems to have gone to the next level. Katy Perry, I am actually kind of a fan of. I like a bunch of her songs. I. Dude, she got pretty eyes and big titties. What are you talking okay, about? Okay, well, no, but because you all, cause all the Katy Perry songs, you like the fuck out of it. What's here. that? I do. Okay, all right, fine. I'll sing Firework. Push me. Okay. Push me. See what happens. Okay. I'll let my colors burst. Um. All right. <laughs> all right. So, staying in sports, I am a huge Bills fan. Um. I found it funny when my buddy asked you. If you were sad on my behalf for the Bills and you were like, get the fuck out of here. No. Your team just, my team just beat your team the week before and you're suddenly going to jump on my bandwagon. And so when he said that, I'm like, okay, you just walked into a bear trap. Good luck getting out of it. Um, but uh, but the Bills lose and Tyler Bass misses, misses a kick. And I was critical on social media because he sucks kicking from the right side. And that kick ended our season essentially. Wide right. But some in which hurts a lot. Um, um, but some people were calling and like making death threats against him and that makes me incensed because I feel completely justified in criticizing him missing that kick and the, the he's got a booming leg but he sucks from the right side that's just the way his ball draws and he's not good at it and if you watch them as much as I do I'm not making any controversial statements people came at me on Facebook I shot back with essentially shut the fuck up but anyone who would threaten this guy's life 
is a piece of shit. And I suspect it's more gamblers than actual Bills fans. But that's my theory. Mm, I don't even know about that, man. I just, I I've been seeing it for a while. I mean, it's all over Facebook. Like You see people's reaction to bad things that happen in sports. And I'm a person who reacts you know, poorly to my team's losing. Right? Just puts me in a real bad mood. But I don't necessarily... Now, I'll hit or punch you. Um, but it's nice to know I have that role in your life. Like, because of the, our level of friendship, exactly. right? Like, you've got I, such a punchable face. No. Uh, he doesn't punch me in the face. It's usually the true. shoulder or the ribs. Right. Uh, um, Although, you threatened to go for the kidneys last time, which I thought was I a bit aggressive. I did. I did. Um, sometimes you need to be put in your place, right? Threat of a kidney <laughs> shot is just that. Oh, oh you're uh, in your service, though. Okay. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I see, you know, fans just with a, a gross overreaction to bad things that happen in sports or things that don't go their way. Um, you know, athletes receiving death threats because of a bad player or a lost game is not new or uncommon. It happens on a regular basis, and it's disgusting. Um, you know, I think, I, I think a story, I can't remember if it was him or somebody else, but they, you know, they had a bad play and then, you know, got to the locker room after the game and shut off their social media. It was him. Yeah, I mean, and that was smart by him. Yes. Right, smart by him. And when you open it, just wipe it clean and start over, bud. Um, because people you like, because of the uh, uh, anonymous nature of social media and just the distance, right, because now it's not even and necessarily... The accessibility. You right, well, you, get have ac to them. you have access to the person and... You know that there's no accountability, and again, Trump has highlighted that. You can say whatever you want, you can do whatever you want. No one can really do anything about it, right? And that, and people that, it's in, I think a lot, especially a lot of the people that get this shitty about sports, there's a connection to where they lie politically, right? They're extreme. They're probably extremely in one camp or the other camp, right? And so. It's it sucks and it's it's wrong and you hope but like you just say you know it's hope people stop doing it they do it less whatever there's nothing it's nothing that happens on it's not worth it and if it's because you're a gambler and you bet your mortgage and you lost because of Tyler Bass that is on fucking you right that's a hundred percent on you because you're the one who decided to fucking gamble your mortgage and your family stability there's actually a movie about this uh, yeah with matthew buffalo, mcconaughey no no buffalo 66 with vincent Gallo. oh yeah it's, it's, it was literally about scott norwood missing wide right and yes. him losing money he didn't have and then going to prison to pay yes. off a gangster so that movie exists and it, yeah but you're right if you're if you put something that you can't afford to lose on a football game and you lost it too fucking bad. I had money on the game. I lost 25 bucks. I'm not happy. Right. But, but I'm not threatening to kill right, anybody. Exactly. And again, I was criticizing him as a kicker. Yeah. But not as a human. And, I, and like I said, I don't know. I, I don't think it's as... I, I'm sure the gamblers are, you know, get shitty and say stupid shit too, but I don't think that's a majority of of your people doing it. I think you just got people that honestly are assholes that don't know how to act on social media. Well, and there's also... The Venn, there's a Venn diagram that overlaps a lot, right? There's lots of people who are Bills fans who bet big, and they're also the ones who are saying the NFL's fixed because Taylor Swift is going to go to the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl needs her. Like, yeah, the Super Bowl would do just fine without Taylor Swift. Right. Um, and, you know. Well, I mean, she, look, she has value for sure. I mean, we, sure. we've seen the metrics on it. Um, I think $383 million um, is, you know, the boost to the NFL because of her relationship with Travis Kelsey. Um, but it's just like, look, 
you know, people are saying, like, so you've got your conservatives who say that the NFL ratings are down and the worst that they've ever been. It's not true. They're the best right. that they've ever been. They are breaking records. You know, they've got broken down by, you know, various times, you know, your Sunday, your Sunday day games, your Sunday night games, your Monday night games, your Thursday prime, the Saturday games, and all of them, they're, except for like CBS at four o'clock, like their numbers are down like a percentage point, but then they're up, you know, year over year. And then, you know, your, your Thursday night game saw a 28% boost. Your Sunday night game saw a 24% boost. You know, your how much did Peacock become relevant to people? Right. I mean, like you you just like see like all these numbers. Like I mean, the 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 NFL's numbers are up. I want to say overall like 15% in viewership. Um, And the biggest things on TV have all been NFL games, right? And we're not even to the Super Bowl. Uh, I think the I want to say Bills Chiefs game put up some huge. The Bills Chiefs game, I think I want to say fifty three million fucking people. Are you serious? For for For, just by the way, that's what I'm saying. For Buffalo, New York, and Kansas fucking city, Missouri, right? Right. It's not L. A. and New York. And again, we're not even at the Super Bowl yet. Right, and you right. got fifty-three million people in on this. So, I mean, no one's touching the NFL in terms of viewership. That number is going to continue to go up because it's it's kind of fucked up because you're going to all these different places: Amazon, Peacock, YouTube TV, who, whatever. But the reality is, is that people are people have access to them and they're using it, and people are watching in big fucking numbers. So, you know, the idea that Taylor Swift is impacting that. Like you would think, right? Well, you go through and you look at the biggest games with the highest viewership this year. None of them had Kansas City except for that last one, right? Except uh, for the AFC. No, okay, I've, okay, I've already okay, done the numbers, okay. right? Like, don't try to do it. I've like, already, yeah, no, I'm, I already I'm, pulled the numbers down of the you know highest viewed games from week one all the way through championship weekend last weekend, right? And so, like, you've got the AFC championship game. You know, the NFC championship game wasn't far behind it in terms of numbers, right, which is, two again, so between the two games, you had, you know, close to, you know, and there's probably some overlap there, but sure. we'll say, you know, 80 million people, whatever. Um, and then, you know, the games, other than that, they, again, they were different market teams, right, and they weren't Kansas City, right? So everything from two through, you know, 10 in terms of your high, or two, I think it was like two through seven of your highest viewers games didn't even have the Chiefs in them, right? So... Yeah, you're getting a viewers. You're you're getting a spike from Taylor Swift, but that's not the reason behind this boom in viewership with the with the NFL, right? It's just that's just not it. Well, and she is a megastar. I mean, I, with, without Travis Kelsey, she's a ridiculously huge star. We talked about this on the show, and, and like people were paying six hundred bucks to go see her in concert or more. So I, again, I, I'm not trying to be a dick. I don't. It, it's not my demographic. I'm not the demographic they're looking for. I don't get it, but it is what it is. And like I say about anything, if people are willing to pay it, then that's what it's worth. There was a time right. when Beanie Babies were worth $200. But, but, I mean, what's crazy is like no one's really having to pay for anything, right? Like she's just there. They put her on the thing and then. No, I'm into concerts. They're, they're, oh, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, for the NFL, it's it's advertising, it's viewership. Advertising goes up around her games, right? Or around Kansas yeah. City Chiefs games where they think that she will be at. Um, just because they know people will be watching just to see how often or how long they show her for, you know, and I bet if you total up the total amount of time that they show her during a Kansas City Chiefs game, I would be 
I'd be blown away if it was more than two whole minutes, right? Over over the number of snippets. Right. And you've got people, I'm tired of seeing her on my screen or shoving her down my throat. Like, I want, I, like, I, in that. Well, le- that's the whole victim mentality. Of, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Right. I mean, and we, and what's funny is we've actually been through this before with, with uh, Tony Romo and Jessica Simpson. That was a whole thing. Remember Skip Bayless used to say, oh, Jessica Simpson is ruining Tony Romo's career. Right, he all went to shit. Mexico with her and his bike. Yeah, and it's like the, it's the same shit. Like I'm like, I don't really fucking care, you know. I mean, now I'm not a Cowboys fan and everything else, so it, it didn't. It, it, and I'm not even a Chiefs fan, but I just I watch a lot of football, but I barely notice it during the game, right? Like I I, I literally barely notice it, and you know, like I'm more I'm just no matter what, even if they cut away just to show the average fan, or they cut away to show Tony Romo and uh, Jim Nance. I'm like, get back to the field. I want to see, you know, get back to the field. I'm yelling at them to show me the angle that I want, right? Show me the all 22. I want you here. Like, what the fuck? Like, that's what I'm yelling at during the game. I don't give a fuck what they're showing me if it's not on the field. You know, I would love to know this, and it's not worth going down the side path, but was it A.J. McCarron was the quarterback for Alabama? And yeah. his girlfriend was stunning. His, his girlfriend was a and, smoke show. And, and, and Brent Musburger? Yeah, Brent Musburger, was, like, was... Was a creepy old guy. Yes. Like, to the next level. But yeah. any time, or... or, or yeah, um, that was real weird. I Like, I, when he was talking about that, I just pictured him, like, sitting there putting a finger in his belly button, like, being weird. <laughs> and, uh, and, and what was, uh, was A.J. Hawk and, and the quarterback for Notre Brady Dame? Brady Quinn. Brady Quinn. Same thing. She was dating A.J. Hawk. His... Yeah. So... Brady Quinn's sister was dating AJ Hawk, and every time AJ Hawk made a play, boom, there they are. Yeah, and truth it happened this year. <laughs> Jake Browning, who was the backup for the Cincinnati Bengals, his wife or girlfriend or whatever, was up in the suite, and she wore like a skin tight bodysuit. It was like I all silver that. or white, and it caught me off guard. I'm like, what? What is happening up there in that suite? Um, and that was talked about heavily. Like, look, we see this. I don't, I, it's not some sort of government psyop, right? I mean, I think it's the NFL, NFL, take, t- NFL and the networks taking advantage of having a megastar in their ranks and using it to drive advertising dollars and interest in the game, right? If that's, if you want to call that a conspiracy, then so, uh, okay, right? But the government doesn't have anything to do with it. It's not political. I, you know, I don't think she gives a fuck about Biden. And I would tell her if I'm, if I'm her PR people or whatever, I'm like, look, we're not, we're not uh, endorsing anybody, right? Like, don't do that, right? Stay away from um, that. I, so I hear, I hear what you're saying. Um, I do think that the reproductive rights issue, it hits women of that age a lot harder than it hits you or I. And I do think that women of that age, and it's, and it's been shown, I mean, there were, there were votes in Kansas a very conservative state that tried to restrict reproductive I rights. I, and they got I know. Crushed. We talked about it on the show, right? Yeah. Um, I, I'm aware, but I'm still, like, if she, you know, wants to come out in support of being pro-choice or whatever, like, okay, fine. Um, but I, I would just tell her to stay away from an actual endorsement. Now, if she wants to come out and say, you know, vote pro-choice. and <laughs> if she endorses Trump. <laughs> Um, like the, I'm joking. It's just such not even close of an art. It's like it's not even like you know. You'd have yeah. to. If, if she did, then that would, I would believe in aliens or or I'm, body double or, or uh, yes. cloning or whatever. But 
You know, um, definitely not a conspiracy. It's just crazy to hear. Like I said, I, th- I think it was something that was started by right-wing media to put her in a corner that if she did, that, you know, here, ring the alarm, all out of salt. And if she doesn't, then they can take credit for it and say that they made her not do it and that's how strong their voice is, blah, 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 blah. Right? Because, I mean, these are the same people who are boycotting the NFL, by the way, right? Oh, because oh, of Colin they- Kaepernick. Because of Colin Kaepernick and the knee and everything else. So, you know, the same people that are boycotting the NFL, it's just like, so if you're boycotting the NFL, you shouldn't even care about this. But they're not because they're full of shit, right? Like, they, they, you know, they want to take credit. That's why they keep trying to drive this narrative that the NFL ratings are down and that they somehow have an impact. And I told you years ago that that shit didn't work. We saw it with Nike. Remember, they tried to boycott Nike. Nike had one bad 45-minute period in the market. And then their stock just kept going up and up and up. Because no, and, and, and then Nike actively said, not only do we not give a fuck, we're actually going to market even harder to woke people. We're going to have black girls in our ads, and we're going to have overweight people in our ads, and we're going to have paraplegics and LGBTQ and everybody else, and we're still going to crush numbers. So go fuck off, right? <laughs> um, I still although Nike I, did I, come I, down I, a little bit, but it wasn't because it had nothing to do with MAGA. It I, was I way just, more recent. I, I just love it when people buy a product. And, and then, then burn it. on fire, right? Like, like that's a, that's my favorite film. move. I'm yeah. just like, okay, I love that so much. It's just because if I'm sitting there from Nike, I'm like, what are you doing? You already paid for it, <laughs> dummy. You know, like I, 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 I love just, it so it's, much. It's just it's just wild. My, so my, my favorite was the um, uh, the, the fancy uh, coolers. I'm drawing. Yeah, the Yeti oh, coolers. Yeti. I own one. I couldn't come up with it. But people were like filling them with. So Yeti stopped in stopped giving a discount to NRA members. So people were filling them with gasoline and shooting them and making them explode. And yet he's like, you already okay, right? now like, you got to replace got a, it. We got a new line coming out, and it's pretty cool. So if you need a new cooler, just call us. Um, they are great coolers, by the way. So jumping into the actual Super Bowl, which means that we have to go back to championship weekend last week. Um, you know, the Ravens and the Bills go at it. Ravens and Chiefs. Or I'm sorry. The Ravens and the Chiefs go at it. And... You know, that game didn't play out like I like I said that it would on the show. Um, Ravens defense ends up being very undisciplined. You know, Kyle Hamilton played his ass off at safety, but ultimately you just you, you saw a lot of breakdowns on the Ravens side um, defensively. You know, everyone's focusing on Lamar, and that's true. But those first two drives, Kansas, Kansas City had the ball for 15 fucking minutes in the first in, in the first half, right? They just had these really long drives. Ravens just didn't have an answer for him. Travis Kelsey comes all the way back to life. Um, you know, we see uh, uh, MVS making catches. We see uh, Pacheco just running angry like he does. I love watching that kid run. He just runs so hard with such aggression, but he's got speed and athleticism behind it. Um, love to see it out of a running back. Um, and you just see Patrick Mahomes being fucking great, right? Like, I mean, he just – he's. You know, he's making plays. He knows where to be. He knows where his guys are going to be. And if they're not there, he knows how to fucking buy time and, and either get the ball to him or get out and get the first down. Um, and so the lesson learned was stop betting against the Chiefs in the playoffs, apparently. Uh, you know, because I bet against them two weeks in a row, essentially, and and was wrong. But, you know, you, you see, again, Andy Reid being able to look at the Ravens' defense and saying, look, we're, we're going to just take what they give us. They're not going to give us a lot, but it'll be enough if we do that consistently where it'll be a death of a thousand paper cuts. And that's what, that's why those drives were so long. They weren't going after big chunks. It was just like, here, we're going to run. We're going to get three yards here, right? We're going to throw it. We're going to get four or five yards here, 
right? Then we're going to do some sort of play action here, and then we're going to get 12 yards, right? And then we're just going to do that repeatedly down the field. The most frustrating thing for me watching him frustrate the Bills every year is uh, they're so close to sacking him. And then he finds a way to get free, and he throws the ball at some crazy angle, and what should be a six-yard loss ends up being a 10-yard gain. He's like, motherfucker, you you had him. But it's he's... He's he's just he's really good at reading right. pressure. I mean, he, he, I, he's just he's the best I've seen, right? Tom Brady was really good, but Tom Brady was his magic was in his brain, right? Pat Mahomes has that processing ability, and he's just another level in terms of athletic ability that Pat that Tom Brady never had. You know what I mean? Because sure. like, if you give Tom Brady Pat Mahomes oh, like geez. physical skills, then he might have put it out so far. Who knows? Right, and then on the flip side with, with the Ravens, um, you know Lamar Jackson didn't play a great game. Um, you know, ill-advised throws. That one um, pick was as bad. Yeah, as it gets. I mean, it was it was a bad pick. He, get, you know, he his tackle gets beat. He fumbles the ball. Um, I, you, you can't blame him for that. But then after that, you saw that his clock sped up, so he was rushing throws a little bit, even throws in the backfield or little outright like he was just he wasn't getting his feet set and his throws weren't accurate like that's his thing if his feet aren't set and he's not rifling it downfield right then the pass is not going to be accurate right now if he's just running and scrambling and he needs to get the ball downfield you know to zay flowers or mark andrews or, or obj or whoever then somehow when he's falling off to his right you know and backwards he can throw a pinpoint pass that is i don't get it but if he's just throwing a five-yard out and he's rushing it and his feet aren't set, then that ball is going to sail left, right, up, skip it skip it to him, whatever. Um, and it's just like you can see it. You'll see his feet. They're not set. One is in the air. Or both are in the air. And the pass sprays all over the place, right? And there were, he just had too many of those. Um, I was listening to Rich Gannon, and Rich Gannon said, look, as a quarterback, you get three bad throws a game. I don't care how many times, and he said, I don't care how many times you throw the ball. You get three bad throws a game, and they better be spread out, and you, they, none of them better come in the fourth quarter. You get more than three bad throws in a game, eh, you're probably losing that game, right? And I thought that was interesting. So then I go, and I started to watch games, right? And I started to count, like, bad passes, right, that were inaccurate, and, like, receiver didn't have a shot, or just bad throws. And sure enough, Right, the guys who can keep it at three or less during the course of the game, they win a lot. Guys who exceed that number, right, and the, you know the more they exceed it, the worse the outcome is. But the guys that exceed that number, they don't necessarily lose the game, but then it has to be made up for with some form of a splash, splash play. Right, defense got to get a turnover. You got to have something happen on special teams. Right, offense has got you know running back has got to break a, a seventy yard run. You know, so there, there's, I, I don't know how much science there is behind it to back this up, right? But, it, you know, he said it, and um, uh, the guy who was on the radio with him, I can't remember who it was, another longtime NFL guy, was just like, yeah, exactly, right? Like, so this, this seems to be something in the NFL where, you know, the, you only get so many bad throws a game, and Lamar just had too many bad throws. They also threw the ball way too much. Baltimore did not run the ball. 18 attempts, 35 yards. What the fuck are you and doing? And seven of them were Lamar. Right. Like, he was like kind of, right, right. Like most of, the, you know, most of the attempts and the yards are coming from Lamar Jackson. So they completely bailed on what got them there, 
right? And we've seen this now, we've seen this with Tennessee, right? Tennessee, at times, right, like they would get behind with Derrick Henry, and this one, Arthur Smith was, was, was the, uh, the offensive coordinator there, but even if they're behind two scores, they're still running the ball, right? We, even San Francisco, when San Francisco gets behind, what do they do? Give it to McCaffrey. They get, right, like, you're, you're pretty good. Why don't we just give it to him, right? And then things tend to work out better for him, right, because that's the basis of what their team is. Baltimore gets completely rattled. I mean, I think they, they saw the way that Kansas City was playing. They felt that it was going to be a track meet. They had to keep up. And so that's what they did. If they would have stayed within the framework of their game plan, I think that game turns out different. Um, but it didn't, right? So Kansas City moves on. Patrick Mahomes doing what he does. Travis Kelsey doing what he does. And Steve Spagnuolo with the defense, the way he calls the defense. You know, Spags got to be up there. with one. Like, he's got to be considered one of your, your all-time greats when it comes to defensive coordinator. You think about that team he coached in the Giants that beats the undefeated, undefeated Patriots. Um, you just think about the jobs his defenses have done, right, when uh, uh, Mahomes was hurt and they're winning a Super Bowl against Tampa. And they're, you know, like just the way that defense has come up big over the last few years since he's been there, um, I, I, Spags needs to get a lot more credit for what he's doing with that defense. Where, where do you put Mahomes on the all-time list? You, you start talking about him as, as goat material? Yeah, I mean, come on, man. I mean, I know you can't say it now, Brady, ha- but we all see it, right? You all see that he can do things that Brady can't do. You see the fact that, like, he is the fucking engine and transmission of that team. Um, you, you, you see his tenacity, his ability to bounce back from mistakes. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Um, he doesn't, like... You, you can't say it's all the receivers, right? Like, you, right. if you want to say it's it's Andy Reid, okay, fine. I don't know. Okay. Right? But all I know is that Andy Reid, yeah, he was a really good coach before, but he couldn't he – could, he got to one Super Bowl, right, when he was with the Eagles with Donovan McNabb. Right? Donovan McNabb, pretty damn good. Yep. Right? But all of a sudden, having that guy at quarterback, same thing with Bill Belichick. You know, Bill Belichick's a good coach, but him and Tom Brady, great. Bill Belichick without Tom Brady, not good. Sub five hundred, right? And that's not that's that, that's just what the record is. Those are is. facts. I mean, those, those are, are facts. <laughs> I mean, I don't care what you think about the guy. So, I can look at you and you, if you you know people want to hang on. Dan Marino's greatest arm I've ever seen. Okay, yeah, he had a fucking great arm, right? But if you're asking me who I'm taking to win me a fucking game, it's going to be Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady. Period. Point blank. The end. Right. And I've then, always been an Elway guy. Again, Elway. but I mean, you know. Elway, Elway was really fucking good. I also watched Elway play some real shitty games in the Super Bowl, right? Well, right. we'll go down a path of like, no, no, no. no. I'm just saying, like, he got those teams to the Super Bowl. Yeah, that he didn't did. belong there. I, I agree, but I also he also didn't play great he in those games. Like, let's not right. Like, he didn't play good, right? Here's the thing: like, Kansas City has gotten some teams to the Super Bowl that shouldn't have been there, right? With the talent that was on those teams, arguably, and Pat Mahomes. Got him over the hump. That one that you know. It, it's just when 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 people talk about greatest of all time, it's like it's hard for me to put someone who I consider to be young in that category at this age. And I get he's it. not that young though. But he's, he's not an that young. Pro, I think, right. or he's, seven year pro. Yeah, he's been in the league long enough now, and you see the trajectory, right? And like, he's won three. Right. Is it three? Uh, it's two or three. I think they've been in three and they've and won, won two. Okay. Right. And and they've been in the championship game like five of six years, 
Um, or maybe anyway. six straight years. Is it six straight years? Like it's, it's, but, all, but what yeah. we know is like you, you could see the writing on the wall. Now, maybe there's a devastating injury and it slows him down, but you know, you could see like is it's part of it is the system. The system is effective, but I think as long as they got Spags, Steve Spagnolo, the defensive coordinator, right, to help keep that defense at like his defense right now is very good. But even when the defense didn't have the horses, he still made it work, right? Like so, as long as they have him to keep that defense, you know, to allow that defense to help keep them in games and even win games when they need to. Sometimes when the offense isn't clicking. Um, then and they've got Andy Reid. I, I feel good that they're going to keep going down this path, right? Of of just being that team. And if they're going the way that they're going, right? He's not going to need that many more years to pass surpass Brady, right? In terms of Super Bowl wins, you know. And I mean that's the biggest metric. And he's also throwing for a fuck ton of yards, even though I think his numbers are down this year. He still threw for. He pro- I'm sure he probably still threw for four thousand yards. Right, and so if it continues down that path, like he's he's gonna be up there top five in everything in every metric, right? If not number one, if not two, and with the number of Super Bowls he likely ends up winning, right? If he wins if he wins one more, right? Then it's just him and Brady or him and Brady and Bradshaw, Montana, uh, Montana Montana's won got three, right? Because Steve Young won one. Yes. Um, Right, so then, it, but it still puts him up there. Okay, so it's yeah, I mean, right. it's Bradshaw, Montana, right? Like, and then you know, now who knows what could happen, right? He may, may, maybe this is it. Maybe Andy Reid decides to retire, or maybe there's a devastating injury or something like that. But even still, it's going to be hard to you're going to be hard pressed if you're being honest, and you're not just saying, "Oh, it's Tom Brady," just because I'm old, right? You know, in which it, nobody should be saying that, right? We're all around the same age, right? Maybe, you know, give or take five, ten years, whatever, one way or another. But, like, Tom Brady and, and, and Mahomes are just two different animals, right? And, and, and we're seeing something where he is such the driver of their success. I don't have a problem saying, like, if you don't want to label him it now because he needs something else in your mind, two more Super Bowls, okay. I'd be willing to bet that he probably gets them, you know, as, as dangerous as a bet that could be considering some of the groups that, you know, you being a Bills fan, you assume that the, the Bills with Jim Kelly were going to win when they didn't. So you, it's tough to make that assumption. Sure. But we've seen enough historical data to tell us he's probably going to win a couple more, right? And he's, he's knocking on the door winning another one. Now, who's his opponent going to be? That's, that's going to be San Francisco. Um, you look at that game. I think it played out a lot like we thought. Now, I didn't anticipate Detroit jumping out to that big of a lead. But, you know, we did say that, listen, Detroit can ball. They've got offense. They've got a wep- They've got plenty of weapons. Um, you know, they've got two really good running backs. They've got two really good wide receivers, and they've got a tight end that's also really good. Their offensive line is pretty good. Um, their defense is leaky on the back end, but Aiden Hutchinson is good. Jack Campbell, the linebacker that I fucking wanted the Steelers <laughs> to draft. I remember this. Um, he went – you know, two picks ahead, but he, he's been solid. Um, you know, a couple former – I think there's a former Steeler on that team as well. Um, but, you know, like Detroit, Detroit comes out, jumps out to a big lead. And San Francisco, now this is the benefit of experience. San Francisco's been there before. Kyle Shanahan's been there before, not only uh, as a San Francisco 49er, but Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator on that Atlanta team that lost the game where they jumped out to a big lead and end up losing to the Patriots in overtime, right? So Kyle Shanahan's like, look, 
We're not out of this. We can win this game. We ain't going out like this. Get your shit together, right? We're gonna take. We're gonna eat this elephant one fucking play, one drive at a time, and that's what they did. They came out. They stuck to their. They got to their game plan, right? Made quick available throws for Brock Purdy. Gave the ball to Christian McCaffrey, right? Mixed it up with the other running back that they have. Got the ball to George Kittle, right? Took what the defense gave them. Didn't panic, and then their defense came out and woke the fuck up and went lights out. Right, Dan Campbell panics on the other side because he hasn't been there before. I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm going to do what I do. I wouldn't change anything for the world. Dan, I love you. I, you. You proved me wrong. I was wrong about you and your style. And I, I got even more love for Dan Campbell just for the amount of love and respect he showed for Teddy Bridgewater, who retired, to go coach his high school football team. And Dan Campbell gave him so much love after the game. I didn't hear about this. No, you didn't hear about it. Nobody saw it. Like, somebody just caught it with their phone, and you saw Dan Campbell walking out with his arm uh, around Teddy Bridgewater and just loving him up. And that's the type of shit that I love because I had a few coaches who were like that, and, man, it makes a fucking difference. And I can't even imagine what that would be like in the NFL. So, you know, I was wrong about Dan Campbell. Good fucking coach, smart guy, put himself around some really good coaching football minds, and then... Then those motherfuckers stayed because there was, you know, there were so many openings, which we'll get to in a second, that he could have lost his offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. But a lot of it, loyalty to him, I think they end up staying because they want to see this thing through. They want to get over the hump. But Dan Campbell, in a couple key moments, right, where he should have done the smart thing, kicked the field goal, he doesn't, right? And it comes back and it bite, you know, it bites him in the ass, right? He goes for it, doesn't happen. Um, and those are situations where I get your brand, but you want to win a Super Bowl, Bubby. You got to pl- you got to play the game. You got to play smart, right? You got to take points at that point in time. You know what I mean? Because the first time he does it, right? They they still had a lead, right? What happened was San Francisco had gone down, kicked the field goal, right? So what you do is you go down, you kick the field goal to make it a zero sum game, right? But what he wanted to do was he wanted to carry the momentum and he wanted to put the nail in the coffin and bury him. I get it, I like it, but you're in a championship game, and so now you got you're playing. Now you are chess level. You're playing chess with someone who has played this level of chess before. You better take those motherfucking points, and he didn't. Right? They lose momentum. San Francisco goes down, closes it, it scores again. Right? That gap closes. Buttholes get tighter. Right? And then then they're faced with this situation later in the game. Doesn't work out. You know, they uh, they don't kick the field goal, and it ends up being. Ultimately, it ends up being the nail in the coffin for them. And, and, and I mean, I'm not even going to argue with you, but the <clears throat> what got them there was being super aggressive. I mean, he was more aggressive on fourth down than any coach I've ever seen. Again, but you're right. It's situational. I'm sorry. This there's, is, there's times when you got to... Championship games are not regular season right. games. And what got you there can be the very thing that gets your ass bounced out. And Dan and Campbell, and they learned that the hard way. <laughs> yep. You know, and, and, you know, Detroit was good enough to win that game. They gave it away. Obviously, they got out to that big lead. Um, but I think that's where experience in these games as a coach comes in, right? Kyle Shanahan loses a Super Bowl where he had a 24, 28-point lead. Yeah. You know, as, as an offensive coordinator. Kyle Shanahan has played in how many NFC Championship games himself as a 49er head coach? Right? I mean, I think he's played in the last three, maybe four, right? Yeah, that's, that's the famous story about Joe Montana 
pointing to John Candy in the so the I know 40, the story. Yeah, yeah, so the 49ers are need a, a long game-winning touchdown drive against Cincinnati in 1981 or two, and jo, Joe Montana gets into the huddle and says, "Hey, that's John Candy up there," and the whole team is like. You're pointing at fucking John Candy. You know, great. I, I'm a huge John Candy fan, but that everyone says that they took the pressure off and they like, you know, it, it gave levity to a very tense situation. They march ninety yards and John. Have you ever met Joe Montana? Have I ever met him? Yeah. No. Okay, so I have, and the reason why it's important because you're telling that story. That's just how that dude is. Like, you'll be talking to him, right? And he'll look over and see something like, "Hey, you see that? That's so weird." Anyway, what were you saying? And you're like, what? <laughs> I actually saw him on the McAfee show today, and he's showing his age, man. I mean, he's probably mid sixties. Yeah, around there. I just I saw him on the screen. I'm like, Ugh. you know, it's just yeah. I, I'm dealing with getting older and some yeah. stuff and and whatever. And seeing Joe Montana looking, you know, the guy I've yeah. always seen as as no, I get it. And, I, I and, get it. And, I mean, I, I I totally get it. So, but I just it, it, that story. Because people are just like, oh, he did that for the other team. It's so good. He's such a good leader. I'm like, I don't know if that was for anybody else. I think he really saw John Candy, <laughs> thought it was pretty wild, pointed it out, and was like, all right, let's go play ball. Because that that's why they called him fucking Joe, Joe Cool. Yeah. Because he was cool as shit. And like, I, I met I met him at a fundraiser in Chicago years ago, because uh, my buddy was a diehard Notre Dame fan. He takes me, and uh, um, but that's where I got a chance to meet him. Got to talk to him for a little bit. And um, it, it was our conversation actually was more about Joe, uh, Jerome Bettis, but um, who I'm also a diehard fan of. But that, that was my interaction with him. But while we were talking, he literally did the same thing. Like he pointed out a person. It was like a, a political figure, and he's like, "Oh, hey, you see that? Oh, that's pretty. That's interesting." Anyway, so tell me about your thing, right? And you're like, right. "Okay." Um, so, so we're going long, but coaching yeah, changes have. Yeah, so our Super Bowl is, you know, Kansas City, San Francisco. Um, if, you know, you want me to predict it, I, I think what you end up getting is a close game. Kansas City wins in the end because I don't think that Kyle Shanahan will rely enough on Christian McCaffrey, right? I think that Kyle Shanahan will get away from Christian McCaffrey, and ultimately that is why Kansas City wins this game. But if Kyle Shanahan sticks with Christian McCaffrey, and what that means is Christian McCaffrey needs to touch the needs to run the ball twenty plus times. Christian McCaffrey runs the ball. Well, no, no, I think the number seventeen. Christian McCaffrey runs the ball seventeen plus times. San Francisco wins, right? You know. You, if he doesn't, you, you've been a huge fan of Christian McCaffrey since he came out of college. I know, like uh, fanboy, whatever you want to no, no, call no, me. No, 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 that's not attack. No, no, no. Way. I know. I'm, what I'm saying is, I am because I watched that kid at Stanford play at a level as high, or if not higher, than Reggie Bush his entire time at Stanford. And then I watched because I watched him slicing up USC, slicing up UCLA. Anybody they play, he was. You could not take your eyes off him. And all the questions they had about him. None of them stuck. He had a few injuries, but running backs do, especially when they touch the ball as much as he does. But, like, he, he – y'all forget he got traded. He wasn't playing for San Francisco his whole career, right? He did a yeah. whole lot of shit in Carolina, right? And then that organization decided that they needed to rebuild, and he moves out, and he gets kind of rejuvenated. But now you're, you're seeing – he was doing 
he was doing this and more at Stanford, and I'm like, I don't know how anyone looks at him and says he's not. I have I have to have him, right? When you see him, I don't know how you don't say, I want him on my team right now. That's was my feeling watching him at Stanford, um, and that's been proved out. So, yeah. getting to the coaching changes, we'll go through them. Um, I guess we'll go kind of in alphabetical order. Go for it. The way I, mean, I, re- I wrote yeah, them. You took the notes, so um, it's on you. Raheem Morris, so he takes over in Atlanta. Um, he's got experience there, right? Um, you know, kind of going back to a place that he's been. I think he was briefly the head coach there for a little bit. Okay. Um, it was, you know, the coach got Interim. fired. Yeah, okay. I think. Uh, oh, yeah, when uh, Dan Quinn got fired, he took over. Um, and then Dan Quinn went to Dallas, and then Atlanta ended up hiring uh, Alex or um, Smith. Um, so Raheem Morris, everyone who talks about him in the NFL, they're just like, look, this dude is the best coach that doesn't have a head coaching job in the NFL. Right? Mike Tomlin has said it. Uh, um, you know, other other people like uh, there was a list of people that I was just, I just heard on the uh, uh, listening to the NFL the other day, and um, look, I, I I remember like what he's a smart coach, right? Like the Rams, part of the reason why the Rams end up making the playoffs and doing better than people expected was because the way he was able to get that defense to come together with a lot of young guys that were inexperienced that weren't high draft picks, right? Because the Rams are in a bit of a cap situation or were this year. They couldn't bring in a ton of people, free agents. They got a lot of money tied up between Stafford and Aaron Donald and everything else. But Raheem Morris was able to pull that defense together. They were very effective. um, And he's just a good coach. So I think that's a good fit down in Atlanta. Uh, Familiarity with the organization, with the lay of the land. Um, and excited to see what he's going to do, and then you he takes the off his he gets his offensive coordinator who is a guy that was uh, uh, I want to say oh shit I can't think of the guy's name, but he takes the offensive coordinator who was um, with the Rams he had been a McVay guy right for a few years worked with the quarterbacks worked with the offense I think he was the offensive coordinator but he might have been the quarterbacks coach either Zach Robinson is the guy's okay. name. Um, but he is going to be the offensive coordinator in Atlanta, so they bring their experience together from the previous organization. Um, and, you know, excited to see how that works out for Raheem Morris. He's a guy I know that's been close with Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin has vouched for him. Uh, he's a guy that I wanted to see brought into the Steeler organization um, as a defensive coordinator because I wasn't in love with Terrell Austin. Uh, but he gets his opportunity in Atlanta, so, you know, Raheem, good luck. Commanders, Dan Quinn, who – was Warmer. previously the Atlanta head coach, and he was the defensive coordinator in Dallas. Um, you know, by all intents and purposes, did a great job with that Dallas defense. Uh, hopefully learned from the mistakes in Atlanta, which what were the mistakes in Atlanta? Stay, you know, play a full game and you win a Super Bowl. Um, but he's going to take over in the, he's going to take over in Washington, D.C. You've got new ownership there with Josh Harris and that ownership group. You know, looking to make a, you know, a lot of people thought they were going to make a splash with a, you know, offensive-minded coach, but they end up going with Dan Quinn. Who knows why that particular reason is. Maybe the offensive guy that they wanted wasn't available. Uh, But Dan Quinn coming in as a defensive coordinator, he's got experience as a head coach. I think Josh Harris is like, look, this is my new baby. I want someone with experience and maybe not someone that needs to be coached along. Um, So we'll see how that plays out. You've got Mike McDonald, um, and I wonder how many times people are going to switch up him and Mike McDaniels down in uh, Miami. Miami. 
But Mike McDonald, he was a defensive coordinator of the Ravens, young guy, um, very young. I think he's 36 or something along those lines. Um, so he replaces Pete Carroll, who was 70 years old, um, which is interesting. Here's a little side note. So none of the names that I'm going to mention in terms of new coaches are Bill Belichick, right? So Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, both 70 years old, both out of a job in the NFL, both arguably two, you know, Bill Belichick, arguably greatest coach of all time. Pete Carroll's Hall of Fame coach. You know, I don't think anybody's questioning that at all. And neither one of them have a job. Why? Because they're like, look, you guys are a little too old. You've been doing it. We respect you. If you want a position as a consultant or whatever, you can do that. But you can't be the main guy. So if they could do it in the fucking NFL, why the fuck can't we do it with our fucking federal government? Right? But anyway. <laughs> but you digress. <laughs> I digress. Uh, Mike McDonald coming in, really good defensive coordinator, did a great job with, with the Baltimore defense. I, I wonder if this is the best move. I don't know. Now, I can't say too much because Mike Tomlin himself was only a defensive coordinator in Minnesota for one year before the Steelers said, you're our guy. Um, so it could work out really well for Mike McDonald. I don't know. Um, but we know he's good with defenses. Baltimore's defense played lights out until they didn't play lights out in the game that they needed to be. Um, although in the second half, Baltimore's defense did really shut down Kansas City, but the offense just couldn't get going. So we'll see what happens there. Panthers, uh, Dave Canellis, he was the offensive coordinator in Tampa Bay. He brought Baker Bayfield back to life both in uh, Los Angeles and then with Tampa Bay. Um, he's worked with a lot of different quarterbacks. He's a guy who comes out of that Pete Carroll school. He was with Seattle for, I think, like 14 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so he really was basically raised by Pete Carroll when it comes to from a coaching perspective. Um, he's a high-energy guy, but he's very empathetic. Uh, I think he's kind of a new-age type of coach. He's not a screamer and a yeller. He's just a teacher. Um, but he's, he's the. what's interesting is that they made the general manager, Dan Morgan, there, who was a linebacker out of Miami. Dan Morgan was a beast, but he ends up having to retire a little bit early, I think, because of concussions. Um, but he is now the general manager, so it'll be interesting to see because Dan Morgan is very fire and brimstone, and this guy is not. So hopefully they balance each other out. Um, and Dave Canales is really excited about Bryce Young. So maybe this guy's been a quarterback whisperer. He's, he's helped a lot of quarterbacks. He was the guy that was behind the resurgence of Geno Smith, right? Like, so he's a quarterback coach with Geno Smith. Geno Smith has that big year. Dave Canales goes to Tampa Bay. Baker comes back to life. Or, yeah, Baker comes back to life. And then, um, oh, I'm sorry, Zach Robinson was the guy who helped Baker in L.A. Dave Canales was uh, still in Seattle at that time. So, uh Dave Canellis then, right, leaves, goes to Tampa Bay. Geno Smith has a little bit of dip in performance, and then Baker continues his ascension kind of back up, right? So the guy's got the quarterback whisperer in him. He's really excited about Bryce Young, although, of course, he is. What else is he going to say at this point? So we'll see what happens with the Panthers there. Um, you know, if, if he can actually make Bryce Young not look like a bad pick. Right, because right now, if you're looking at it, you're like, eh, I don't know. Uh, like you passed like, on CJ Str right. Stroud, and, you know. And, I mean, and, and that's the other problem, right? Like, I mean, you got like, you, you, they really got to push it to make it look like, okay, this was not a terrible pick. We just didn't have the right coach in place. So that's kind of a big thing on him. Chargers, you got Harbaugh. Harbaugh leaves Michigan, leaves my nephew, um, but my nephew is staying, right? Because he's really okay. excited about it. He likes uh, Moore, who is the place that they replace Harbaugh with at University of Michigan, but Harbaugh takes over at the Chargers, a place where he formerly played. Um, actually, Steelers beat him, I think, in, I want to say, either the divisional round or the AFC championship round, Ended up the year they ended up winning a Super Bowl. The one well, he was the Colts for that, I believe. 
Because there's, 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 there's a play. You're thinking of the play with the Colts where he flipped away, but he was also court okay. with the okay. Chargers, and we played them too. Okay. So, um, but he's there, and we know who he is. We know what he is, right? He's good with quarterbacks. He's good with offense. The offense isn't going to be flashy, but it's going to be very effective. Um, he's got plenty of tools there. We know he went there because of Herbert. It was the best quarterback of the jobs that were open. Um, he's got some pieces with Eckler. They've got to figure out Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, but they've got some other young receivers. He's also ducking trouble with the NCAA. I mean, so. yeah, but we, he's been trying, like, he's been sniffing around the NFL for the last four seasons, right? Okay. So, I mean, people are saying that. Yeah, maybe he is. I think it's more of, I don't think Jim Harbaugh doesn't give a fuck about him getting in trouble. Right, he. I think part of it is if I leave, will you back the fuck up off of the University of Michigan? Right, I'm gonna leave it in good hands. I'm gonna go to the NFL. You guys do this, make all this shit go away, and I'll just do my thing in the NFL where I don't have to worry about all this bullshit. I think it's more that than he's ducking the trouble himself. I mean, I I, I think maybe we're saying the same thing in that sense that right. You know, well, I think you need to articulate. The, 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 he's the, not the running drama, the drama that is going to follow him if he stays in the NCAA. Right. is something he does not want to deal with. Right, and but I don't think it's about him because he would fight it all day. He wants to protect the kids and he wants to protect the institution, and I think okay. that's critical to say, right? Because I think having met the man, having seen how he's treated my family. And how he treats those kids and how he thinks about them, that I think that's important. To no, say. that is because I, I one of the reasons I don't like Pete Carroll is I think Pete oh, Carroll of what split. Yeah, He's like, oh, it's gonna go bad. I'm getting the fuck out of here. And I saw him give the most disingenuous interview ever. He's like, oh, if I knew things were gonna go bad, I would have stayed there to make it right. Yeah, like fuck yeah, you, dude. You I, you ran because you knew the right. shit was and, in the fan. And that's why I think it's important to distinguish okay. the difference. Fair. Uh, so Titans, Brian Callahan, right? Brian Callahan, son of Bill Callahan. I think this is important for a couple reasons, right? So Brian Callahan comes over. He had been with Cincinnati. You know, he worked with, um, Joe, uh, Joe Burrow. He's worked with a number of, uh, uh, other quarterbacks, but one key move, he's bringing his dad. Where is his dad? Bill Callahan has been the offensive line coach for the Cleveland Browns since Stefanski got there, right? Since Stefanski got there, the Browns, when they run the ball, when Stefanski is using his brain, especially with Nick Chubb, they're very effective because the offensive line play, even with their starters out, is very good because Bill Callahan is one of the best offensive line coaches you can get. So the Titans' gain is the Browns' loss. So the question is, what happens with the Browns, their ability to run the ball, protect the passer, now that Bill Callahan is no longer in the picture, is something that you really have to think about. As a Steeler fan, this brings me joy. Right? It made me sick to my stomach to watch the Steelers' offensive line play like shit after Mike Munchak ends up having to leave to go to Denver to be closer to his family and then seeing the Browns being able to run the ball all over us because they got the fucking guru of offensive linemen just coaching any Tom, Dick, and Harry how to do a perfect fucking power block. So, um, you know, Brian Callahan knows, again, another offensive-minded guy, again, bringing in his dad to help build up and shore up that offensive line. That's an interesting situation because do they have their quarterback in Will Levis? What do they do with Hen- uh, with uh, King Henry? Um, you know, running back. You know, like is they, Tannehill still there? Tannehill is still there, but Tannehill's a free agent. Okay, right? Do they keep him? Right now, uh, um, you know, their former offensive coordinator and the guy uh, is it Alex Smith? Uh, oh, the quarterback 
from no 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 no, no. not 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 uh, Arthur Smith. Sorry. Arthur Smith. Okay. Arthur Smith yeah. was the offensive coordinator in Tennessee. Was the head coach, coach in Atlanta. Atlanta. Right. He gets fired. Steelers hire Arthur Smith as their offensive coordinator. So the question is. With Tannehill being a free agent, with Rudolph being a free agent, Tannehill having a relationship with Arthur Smith, does Tannehill end up in Pittsburgh? Do they let Rudolph go at that, point? at that point? I don't know. It would be interesting. I don't love it, but I don't necessarily hate it, right? If we want to see Kenny Pickett and you've got a guy with a lot of experience behind him like a Tannehill, right, who can help coach him up, Arthur Smith, I don't know. It could work out. Uh, Raiders, Antonio Pierce, we've known this for a while. You know, he's a guy from that area. He played for the Giants, was one of those all-time greats, was a guy that wasn't highly recruited, wasn't – I don't know if he was highly – I don't – no. I know he wasn't highly drafted. I can't remember if he was draft, undrafted free agent or if he was just a late-round pick. But he ends up being damn near a Hall of Fame player, um, defensive-minded guy. He hires Cliff Kingsbury as his offensive coordinator, which I think is interesting. And if I asked you whose offense was in, in 2019 and 2020 – between the Titans and the Cardinals, who had the better offense? Are you, it's going to be the it's Cardinals. It's the Titans. Oh, really? Okay. It's the Titans. And okay. Arthur Smith, right, was the head of that offense. Cliff Kingsbury was the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, right? And a lot of, like, because a lot of Steeler fans wanted Cliff Kingsbury. So I went and I looked at the numbers and I broke down the stats and I'm like, well, Arthur Smith's offense was better than Cliff Kingsbury's offense. Both years. And Cliff Kingsbury is like the offensive guru, right? Yeah, it's all right? That. Like, Arthur Smith's offense was better both years, right? Noticeable gap between the two. Now, you could say, oh, well, he had a young Kyler Murray. I'm like, but he had a relationship with Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray, I think we would all take Kyler Murray over Ryan Tannehill, right? Oh, yeah. Well, right? he also had DeAndre Hopkins. Okay. That year, maybe not that year. He might have gotten a year later. I just have nightmares every time I see that name right. because him... Catching yeah, but, the ball. Right, because I'm going fucking Randy Moss. But, I mean, point is, I you know, it'll be interesting to see what Cliff Kingsbury does there. It helped to ease my mind a little bit as a Steeler fan. Like, all right, maybe maybe we need to give this guy a chance. And my personal beef with Arthur Smith is his facial hair. Because <laughs> when he's got a mustache, he looks like a cop who turns his fucking camera off when he's, you know, in black neighborhoods. And when he shaves it, he looks like someone who should be telling you that he lives next to you for, you know, different reasons. Uh, I need him to grow a beard. <laughs> Uh, it needs to be in his contract. Well, at, least, at, least, at, at least you're being substantive with your criticisms. Right. And in the Pats, um, Jared Mayo, or Gerard Mayo, he ends up taking over. We knew that a little while ago. Um, he brings in Alex Van Pelt as his offensive coordinator, um, you know, who was another guy who was previously with the Browns. They have a mutual sort of parting of ways in Cleveland. Van Pelt lands himself there. I mean, Van Pelt is a guy who's been around, obviously ties to the Bills, um, and he wants to call plays. He wasn't calling the plays in Cleveland. Um, it, so, I mean, I think this also tells us that Pats are probably going to draft a quarterback, which means, you know, Bailey Zappi and, and uh, Mac Jones. Mac Jones are probably one of them is at least one of them is going to be off. And I'm assuming it's Bailey Zappi, but I don't know. They may get rid of Mac either. Jones because neither it, one is good. Um, uh, Alex Van Pelt was at um, Pitt when I was at WVU. And Alex Van Pelt was not known for his off-season conditioning. And so what he's the, still not. What are the ways he's still not? But when he was playing college and oh, professional yeah. football, and so we would bring pizza boxes into the stadium because we were assholes. A little body but, shaming. But it was, it was in 1992. You didn't yeah, get as much get away with that. Yeah. But, but I mean, like, all that to say, like, look, you got a lot of changes in the NFL as it comes to coaches. Um, we're seeing a lot more diversity in some of these different coaching hires. Um, you know, we're seeing um, 
a youth movement and you know you've got bill belichick mike vrabel eric the enemy none of those guys got a job um bill belichick to me was the most obvious one to not get a job i mean again the dude is 70 he's been around his record without brady isn't great and you know he's not going to be around that long so why are you even bringing him in right like you want to build a championship team that's got the like you want someone who you think was as her head coach is going to be there for an extended period of time. And I think that no one is looking at Bill Belichick as a long-term option. He wants to keep coaching, I think, more so to break that record that Don Shula has than anything else. And I think it probably comes through in his interviews. And I just doesn't matter how great you are. I don't know. if Yeah, you know, it probably sends a message you know. of like, okay, so you want to be here, so you end up in the history books. Great. Great. We want to know what our team's going to be doing for the next 10 years. Exactly. It's not you. Yeah. And the, the Vrabel not getting a s- job should kind of surprised. surprised me. Shouldn't. Why? Because. We're going Vrabel, way long, so I don't know. Because Vrabel's a good coach, but you look at what he did in Tennessee, and there's not a ton to hang your hat on, right? They made it to the AFC title game that one year and got beat by, you know, double digits by the Chiefs. Um you know, I, I just think that people want more. There's, there's like we like. It's great that you're old school and you do things your way and you're a big tough guy. Um, and you once made me a sandwich when I was at Ohio State. Right, that's great. But I it's just like if you're going to be that type of guy, you then you better have a team that can compete at a high level, right? And we haven't really seen that in Tennessee, you know, the last few years, right? And- where, where. In, in the last couple of years, I think we've seen an evolution in, in offensive production because of rule changes, because of just the type of players that are coming out. Did the Titans adapt to that all that well? No. Um, he's a good coach. His teams are going to play hard. They're going to be effective. But does that still is that still a key component of winning games? And I think yes, but you also have to have that other piece. And I think that people didn't aren't didn't trust that he was going to bring in the right offensive guy to really propel the team to where they wanted to go. Well, I think, I think I'm going to piggy, piggyback on your point because when you have that old school mentality of my way, or the highway in your face, you know, whatever that worked for, excuse me, for Bill Parcells. Cause he, Bill Parcells, I, yeah, it didn't work for him, right. but I meant Bill Belichick cause he was winning Super Bowls. Yeah. And when you're not doing that, you know, that was what you could get away with in 1980. And I get away with the wrong term, but that was, it. It I was mean, the culture. It was, it, it was, I mean, the bar wasn't as high. And now the bar is, yeah, we need to win. We want winning records. We want to be in the playoffs. We want to win the Super Bowl. But we also really want to do it like everybody else is doing it. We, yeah. want, to, we want to do it like the Rams did it. We want to do it like Detroit's doing it. We want to do it. We want to look like Kansas City. We want to look like San Francisco. How old was Mike Tomlin when he got, when he got hired? I think 34. I was, you know, I was doing the math. He's been the Steelers coach for 20 years now. Is that right? 18. 18? Okay. Because yeah. I was doing the math. I'm like, I know he's younger than me, and he's been coaching for that long. And I always think of the Sean McDermott. Yeah, you, you guys may be, how old were you in 2009? Are you going to make me do math now? <laughs> You're a fucking <laughs> engineer. I am an engineer. I was 29. Okay. So he's older than you. Wait a minute. 2009. Yeah, yeah, because in 2009, 2009 I, yeah. I was 20. in 2009. I was no, I was 29 in 2009. So you were 39. All right, because you're 10 years this old. Is, yeah, I mean, and we are. Was, so I, he's a, he's so yeah. So he's I'm saying he's a couple he, years younger than you. Yeah, he's a couple years younger than me, and he's been in that position for a long time. Right. And I and I love bringing this up, and we do need to wrap it up because we've gone way long. And I have to pee. And you have to pee. All right, but we are. Uh, 
I love bringing up the fact that he and Sean McDermott were at William and Mary at the same time. And two defensive backs from William and Mary are now holding two of the 32 positions in the league. Steve had to go pee. We've gone along. We're done. We are at Whiskey Congress on X, Twitter, whatever you want to fucking call it, Instagram. Um, please comment and uh, you know, interact with us. We're out.